Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people, like you, make better informed money decisions. Each episode, Andrea Fox grills a guest to get the best tips on issues such as savings, pensions, budgeting, debt, family finance, marriage and retirement. She's finding the answers we're looking for and getting expert tips that you can put into action. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Hello, I'm Andrea Fox, presenter and broadcast journalist, and welcome to the Penny Drops, where I speak to some of the best financial experts out there. On this episode, I'm speaking to a woman aiming to help everyone, especially women, achieve financial freedom and can take control of their lives. She's Bolas Akimbe, founder of a website Clever Girl Finance and the author of a book of the same name, as well as courses that anyone can do at clevergirlfinance.com. She's got loads of great tips on everything financial on her website. She's going to be sharing those with us today, including her story of how she she managed to save $100,000 in a little over three years. Bola, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, you are chatting to us from New Jersey in the US, uh, where you're a certified financial education instructor, which sounds so fancy. But this is advice that's relevant for everyone, wherever you're listening, right? Yes, absolutely. Brilliant. So let's get straight into it then. Tell us a little bit about your website, Clever Girl Finance, and what it aims to do. Yeah, so Clever Girl Finance is an online financial education platform for women, and we're really focused on empowering women to get to the point where they are achieving financial success and financial wellness, and they're doing it on their own terms. And we do this by empowering them with knowledge and education, and we have a great time while we're doing it as well. And um, you've got quite an interesting story from your family. It seems like you're all hard workers. Your mum is like queen of the side hustle. So can you talk about how your sort of family life influenced your career path to getting to Clever Girl Finance? So growing up, both of my parents had a really strong influence on the way I perceive money today. Um, my mother got married really young. She got married when she was 19. Wow. She didn't have a college education. And my dad was much older. He was in his 30s when they got married, and he was essentially the breadwinner. And growing up, I got to watch my mom navigate you know, the finances in our household and basically get to a point where she was now a woman standing on her own two feet and just watch that journey. And just thinking back on it now, um, as I was growing up, my and as my mom was maturing in her relationship and getting older, she started to see things around her that were happening that she didn't like. She was seeing friends go through divorces mm. or unfortunately lose their spouses. And they were left with the short end of the stick, especially as related to their finances. They had no idea where the money was or, you know, uh, the extended family will come in and take over things. And my mom just never wanted to find herself in that position where she wasn't able to stand on her own two feet without my dad and to take care of her kids. So she took it upon herself to go to college, get a college degree. And then once she graduated and got another degree, which was a master's degree, she then start, started to hustle. She was working full time. And while she was working full time, she opened a hair salon. She had a bakery. You know, she had a Coca-Cola franchise. She was doing all kinds of hustles to put money aside. And I got to see that firsthand. And I actually got to watch my mom console friends who would come over, you know, because they wanted to leave a bad relationship or because they had nowhere else to go and they had to spend the night at our house with, you know, their kids. And so that was really impactful to my first 
I guess, learnings about money and understanding what I didn't want to have, where I didn't want to be. And that was to be, you know, in a financially poor place or to be, you know, in a space where I didn't have options. Yeah. And it's so inspiring because so many of your mom's generation wouldn't necessarily have gone back to school or had the, you know, independence or the confidence to start those businesses. But she did. Exactly. Yeah. It's It wasn't something that was very common because at the time, you know, um, it was the t- traditional household. You mm. know, the dad went out went out to work and the mom was home and she was the homemaker. That was more common. A lot of her friends were homemakers slash stay-at-home mom slash, you know, um, caretakers. And so, especially given the fact that my dad had married her with the idea that he was going to have, you know, his wife at home taking care of his kids, it was a big challenge for her, um, especially in the, the, the dynamic of their relationship and the back and forth about why she wanted to go to school and why he didn't feel like, you know, she needed to go and all kinds of arguments. But, you know, they got they got through it. <laughs> and it's and turned out all right, because in the end, didn't your dad have to retire a little bit early? So thankfully, it was a good thing that your mom was able to work. Exactly. So my dad ended up going through a financial downturn where he had to retire for health reasons about 15 years earlier than he had planned. And at that time, my dad had been spending a lot of his money educating my brothers in England. And unfortunately, he had to retire about 15 years earlier, which was when I was I was a few years away from going to college. And so everything changed. And at that point, my dad was like, I can't afford to send you to college because, you know, I'm retired. We need money to live. (laughs) And at that point, my mom stepped up and she's like, well, I've been putting money aside. So my mom supported me through college. I got a partial scholarship and I kept my grades up. And, you know, for me, that was just a huge, huge opportunity, a huge, huge gift that my parents gave to me at the expense of their own retirement Mm. Um, and something that I'm forever grateful for. Yeah. And it's an amazing story. And it kind of makes me think when you say about the traditional values that your father had. um, Do you think that's kind of why women approach finances differently to men? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with just how we are raised. So if we go back to, depending on the age of the listener, um, your mother's generation or even your Mm. grandmother's generation, what was typical was that, you know, the dinner table the dads would talk to their sons about business. They will pull their sons aside and talk to them about, you know, making money and finances. And then the mothers who were traditionally homemakers would talk to their kids about, you know, homemaking and recipes. And there were, you know, obviously outliers, but these, this was more of traditional, like what was most common. Inherently, women passed down to their children the skills that they had and the skills that they knew how to do well, which was homemaking. Mm-hmm. But now fast forward into this generation and it's almost like we've we've taken this massive jump where we're light years ahead of even the generation right behind us, right, which is our moms. And we're now finding ourselves in this unique position more so than our mothers and our grandmothers where we have to, whether we want to or not, take charge of our finances and know how to save and to budget and to invest. So there has been been a big shift across this last generation. And now we are in the space where we have to take ownership of our money because no one else can do it for us. Yeah. And like you say, like your story shows, um, things can change. Exactly. <laughs> so how did you start Clever Girl Finance? I had gotten married, had twin babies, and I was in this space where I wanted to do something that mattered. I think a part of it was partial postpartum depression and just wanting to have 
some sort of legacy for my kids. I was in that frame of mind. And so I started brainstorming about all the different things I could do. And everything I wrote down over that year and a half was basically about helping other women and money. And my friends were like, well, you should definitely write a blog about personal finance because all you do is talk about money and saving and budgeting and investing. <laughs> and so I, I started Clever Real Finance. The name came to me in the shower and I use it as a platform to just start to express um, my thoughts about money and my experiences with money. And I started to share it and I started the Instagram account. And, you know, that is basically where the beginnings of Clever Girl Finance came from. Love it. And everyone has their best ideas in the shower. Yes. <laughs> if you're not singing out loud, ruining your, your, your neighbor's lives. <laughs> um, now we've got to get to that story that I mentioned in the intro. $100,000 in just three years. How did you do it? First, I will say that it was challenging. Though when when you say it now, I it think we're all really... going to say like it must have been challenging. <laughs> <laughs> if it was I mean, easy, Bola. <laughs> I mean, when you package it in a story, it sounds like it was easy, you know, and lots of fun, a hundred thousand dollars just like that. But listen, it was really challenging to save that money, and you know, not just physically, but also emotionally and mentally, because you're in this, I was in this space where I could have been doing so many other things at the time. I was young, you know, new college graduate, earning my first big paycheck. You know, my friends were living their best lives. Mm. Um, <laughs> fancy, fancy flats, nice holidays exactly. for the girls. Yeah. But yeah, so just knowing what my parents had given up to afford me the education I had. I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to do something that mattered. So I got my first job in New York City um, in technology consulting, and I was making $54,000 before taxes. So after okay. taxes, that came out to about $40,000. And to me, I was rich. I had never, ever yeah. <laughs> made that kind of money in my life before. I mean, what? $40,000? <laughs> Quick, where are the handbags? Where's the handbags sitting? And so I just, you know, I didn't, I also didn't know a lot about money at the time. I knew I should save. I knew, you know, um, I, I didn't want to end up in a space where I couldn't take care of myself, but that was about it. I had to mm. learn how to budget. I had wow. to understand what it meant to invest. And so the first thing I, I did to start saving that money was um, at my job, when I, I got hired, we had a HR, human resources orientation. And they talked to us about something called a 401k, which is the equivalent um, retirement plan for us here in the United States. It's And it's basically when an employer establishes an account for you and you can get some tax um, benefits from it, like lower taxes if you contribute to it or you max out the limitation on it. And when I sat down at the orientation, they told us that, well, for every amount of money you put into this employer's retirement account, we're going to match it at 100% up to 6%. Mm. And to me, all I heard was free money. So <laughs> I contributed <laughs> just enough to get that free money initially. And then I went on to contribute in the three and a half years enough to actually max out the legal allowable limitation on the account. Wow. Um, the, the second thing I did was I got really mean and lean with my budget and I kept my expenses low. So I was working in technology consulting, uh, which means I was traveling a lot for work and I took advantage of, you know, allowing my employer to pay for my meals. And, you know, I, with whatever stipend I would get, I would try to squeeze as much as possible <laughs> into that stipend, even if it meant <laughs> eating some crappy food. Um, you know, at home, I was on a steady ramen noodles and Coca-Cola diet, which I do okay. not recommend. <laughs> I was going to say, we don't recommend no diet tips on this podcast. No, but it was cheap at the time. 
Oh, wow. And I had nothing to lose health-wise. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just kept my expenses low. I kept my utilities low. I picked the cheapest phone bill. Um, I don't drink alcohol, so I was never going out for drinks. It wasn't <laughs> a thing for me. Um, you know, and I was mindful of turning down requests to hang out because I knew that it involved spending money. So I was, I tried to be really lean and mean with my budget. I was the girl who was walking through the office when I got to work to see what was happening. Is there a baby shower? Is there a retirement party? I don't know you, but congratulations. I'll take the free lunch. That was me. <laughs> I was trolling the office. a free lunch. I love love it. <laughs> exactly. And then I also focused on saving about 40 to 50% of my paycheck. So um, that was my goal. Every wow. time I got paid to save, try my best to save half of it. Um, I saved any tax refund I got. I saved any bonus I got. And then I also started a side hustle, which was a really big part of me being able to save that money. Um, because at the end of the day, you get to a point where you can only reduce your expenses just so much. Yeah. You you've still got to have pay to, your bills. You've got to you eat. You have to eat. You have Even to if it's live ramen somewhere. and Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So my side hustle was a big game changer for me because um, it allowed me to increase my income. And so I started a wedding photography business and it happened purely out of out, mm. out of chance. Um, I had gone to a friend's wedding in Jamaica and her photographer was running, running late. And I had a entry level, a very basic entry level camera because... I grew up with my dad taking pictures of us, so I love taking pictures. Mm. And my friend was like, hey, Bola, can you take some photos of me getting ready because my photographer is not here and I want to have something. So I took some pictures of that and of also the ceremony. And she loved them. And I was like, wait a minute, this is an idea to start a business. So I put an online posting up and I used her images with her permission as my portfolio. And I booked my first wedding. And from there, you know, I was like, you know, I could start a business out of this. So that first year I made $10,000. Um, Wow. I paid my taxes, bought some equipment. You know, this was me working nights after work, working on weekends, like working seven days a week, long hours, being extremely exhausted, um, posting images on Craigslist and upgrading a blog and learning how to edit and learning how to use my camera. And then the second year I made uh, $30,000. And again, I paid my taxes, bought more equipment. Um, and so that was a really big part of me being able to save that $100,000. Amazing. And I think like, obviously that was $100,000 for you. But some of the things you've mentioned there, like budgeting, being quite strict with yourself, having a percentage that you always put away every month, that's stuff that everyone can kind of take on board. And having a skill like the photography that you decided to turn into a side hustle and a moneymaker. Exactly. And I think, you know, the side hustle is one thing, but some people will say, well, I'm not side hustle inclined. And when I, you know, think about other ways that people can th increase their income, it could be something as simple as getting a part-time job, um, knowing that that the, the money from that part-time job and those extra hours are going to go towards your savings goal or your debt repayment goal or whatever goal you have for yourself or even finding a better paying job, right? A lot of people get really comfortable in their jobs because they like their boss, but liking your boss is not enough. <laughs> yeah. When you're trying to, you know, pursue your financial goals. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not going to pay your mortgage personally, are they? As much as you like them. Exactly. I wanted to know as well, Bola, what's the best financial decision you've made? So my best financial decision has been investing early and just really taking advantage of 
time on my side to start putting money aside for my future self. And obviously when you're investing, there is a level of risk. And so for anyone who's thinking about investing, whether you're starting earlier or later on, I think it's really important to educate yourself about the risks and also have a sense of what your risk tolerance is. And if you're in that space where you need additional guidance, definitely, you know, don't be shy to schedule an appointment to talk to a financial planner. So you obviously spend so much time with Clever Girl Finance trying to get women to have a different approach to their finances. What do you think are some of the biggest issues for women when they approach finance? I think it's just one of the biggest issues is self. It is adjusting your mindset around the fact that you can actually succeed with money. And also it's harder to become something when you don't have a multitude of examples around you who of people who have actually accomplished that thing. So going back to the conversation that we had talking about traditional the previously traditional spaces of yes. women, right? In the in the household. So for a lot of women, especially women I encounter, they're the first in their family to earn that six figure income. They're the first in their family to go to college. This is the first time, you know, that they're they're this they're making more money than their mothers and their grandmothers and their dads, many women are, right? So they're in this space where they can't necessarily go to ask their parents for financial advice because mm-hmm. their parents themselves don't know. Personally for me, I you know, I'm a child of immigrants. And so while my parents had all these, my mom was a great saver and she Mm -hmm. had all this advice for me. My dad had all this advice for me. I couldn't necessarily go to talk to them about, well, how do I manage my retirement plan and how do I manage my credit? Because this was all foreign to them, right, Mm -hmm. as immigrants. So I think the, the biggest issue women face is just mindset and understanding that even though they don't have, they may not have the right people around them or people that have all that knowledge around them to support them with their money decisions, that they can still find ways to be financially successful and they're capable of being successful as women. Um, you know, that's something that I see pretty often. Yeah. And you've had so much schooling and you still have taught yourself all of these, all of the knowledge that you now put out there with Clever Girl Finance. We hear a lot as well about the gender pay gap and the pension gap. So can you explain a bit about why these are such a problem? Yeah, so, (laughs) and I'm laughing because this is something that is very infuriating, but you know, if you don't laugh about it, you'll cry. (laughs) Well, yes, we could, could, couldn't we, Bola? What can we do? I know, we can break down in tears right now. (laughs) Um, You know, but the gender, you know, gender wage gap is basically, it's the statistic around um, us as women making much less, on average, 20% less than our male counterparts for doing the exact same job, for being just as qualified or even more qualified. And when you take the statistic and you break it down by demographic, right, you know, the 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 gap between uh, a woman of color, um, an African-American or a Latina or, you know, an Asian, Asian woman compared to their white male counterparts becomes even more um, depressing. And as a result of earning less, right, it also means that women are investing less, right? So there's that investment gap. Yeah, you've got to have have it before you can invest it, right? (laughs) Exactly. So there's there's a multiple multitude of gaps. And in in the UK, you mentioned, you talk about the pension gap. So, you know, that's tied to your your salary, your earnings. And if you don't have the earnings, then obviously the way your pension is calculated is going to be less. And so this is a problem because when you think about the fact that women on average live longer than men, right? 
we need more money mm. to sustain us throughout our lives. When you think about the fact that a lot of women will take time away from work, either temporarily or permanently to have children and to raise children, right? And that is years, months, or years where they're not earning any income to support those additional years longer that they're going to live more than their male counterpart, then that becomes a concern because we are not making enough money and we're also not able to invest enough money to sustain us in our later years. And even when you take a few months off, so in the United States, our maternity leave is terrible. Oh, yeah, it's really bad. Do we um, get nine months statutory here? What do you get in the US? Oh, my goodness. So when I was pregnant, I got no maternity leave. I had to use my vacation <laughs> and get on something called FMLA, which only gave me six weeks. And then I took wow. unpaid time off. But the typical maternity leave in the States is between six to eight weeks. Still pathetic. That's really bad. That's I mean, they, they won't, if you have a C-section here in the UK, you can't. I don't think you could drive for six for six weeks after. <laughs> yeah, I had a C-section. I was back to work. Oh, bless you. Within, within three months. Um, Bola, you do. Ha you have, you have twins, and this is like one of the things that women need to consider. Like, exactly. as part of their finances, if you're going to have a family, right? Exactly. So you know, there there's that window of time where you're not at work. So here, let's say you're not at work for three months because you went to have a baby. In the UK, you're not at work for nine months or let's say 12 months because you went to have a baby and they'll tell you well you have the job security which is great right they, that they try to make us feel better about that but that is three months or 12 months where we're not there to perform and that means out of sight out of mind mm. and in many instances because we're not there to prove ourselves right compounding this gender wage gap is the fact that our male counterparts are getting promoted <laughs> and yeah. getting bigger bonuses than we, we are because they're there performing when we are away taking care of our kids. So there's many factors to consider here when it comes to why it's a problem. And, you know, I always try to, one of my goals is to inform and educate the women in our community as to, well, given the situation now, there's a lot of conversation and, you know, talk and advice on how to tackle the gender wage gap but given the situation on what it is now what can you be doing to get ahead of all these things that are working against you right and what it is is being very mindful of your finances and being very mindful of your dollars and learning how to save and budget and invest so you can get ahead of the things that are working against us as women and obviously that's just a generalization there are certainly instances where you know the guy is raising the kids and you know supporting the family and so it's just important to keep that in mind and for everything that we're discussing right we're, we're focusing on a woman's perspective but this information is also just as relevant to men as well yeah that's some good advice there about improving your own situation because we're not going to change the gender payback gap with this podcast um but unfortunately <laughs> we'll try and change the gender pay gap with this podcast but uh it might take a while um so do you think things are getting better when it comes to women in finances <laughs> yes i absolutely think that things are getting better so one of the things that i always remind women to pride themselves of is the fact that we are we basically make the world go around we run we make you know we run the world as beyonce as beyonce said, said. <laughs> I'm gonna have that and, stuck in my day head. I'm gonna have that stuck in my head all day. And things are getting better because 
every time a woman makes a decision to take charge of her finances, to pay off debt, to learn how to save and budget and invest, right? That is one more woman that can educate a child as to how to do better with their finances, right? Because we are the teachers at home. We're the role models at home. And now that we're getting our finances together, we're able to guide them as to how to be financially responsible adults in the future. So that's one thing we're creating better prepared you know, daughters and sons into the future when it comes to finances. And as we learn more, you know, a lot of women are taking charge of their finances where they're realizing they don't have to get married if they don't want to. Mm. They don't have to depend on any man as their financial plan. They can stand on their own two feet and be successful, empowered, and independent women. And so things are getting better. It's going at a slow pace because, you know, at the end of the day, um, getting better is also up to the individual. And it goes back to what I mentioned about self and just working on your mindset and working on your self-discipline and taking those small steps. And one thing I find with us as women is that we're very quick to judge and shame ourselves for what we're not doing right mm. you have a good um, phrase you know. for this though don't you <laughs> <laughs> yes we we carry the burdens of the world and uh, on our shoulders and we give to everybody else and think of ourselves last and you know at clever girl finance one of the mantras we go by is no shame no judgment because we want every woman to understand that everyone has made mistakes think about every successful people successful person you admire in the world. They've all made one mistake or the other with money. And if they've made mistakes and recovered from them, then why can't you, right? Mm. And so it's it's we I'm constantly reminding women, even myself, that we are works in progress. It's not about pursuing perfection. It's about taking those steps every single day to help you continue becoming, continue to become better with your finances. And so that's something that's really important that we need to remind ourselves of as we work on improving our finances is that we are all works of progress. I think that's really inspiring. I love the no shame, no judgment as well, because I'd like, who knows what AER and compound interest rates really means, um, unless you go and learn like you have and teach other people. So Bella, what are the biggest things that could affect a woman's finances during her lifetime? So the things that could affect a woman's finances really come down to her earnings, her overall lifetime earnings, right? Because the amount of money that you're able to bring into your household determines how much you can invest, how much you can put aside towards your other goals, and how much you have available for um, yourself in your retirement. So earnings is a big deal. And then on top of earnings, just the ability to manage your finances given your circumstances. So you know, kids are expensive. The city you live in um, determines you know how much of your income you're able to keep. But also, while those are not deal breakers, right? Because I have two kids. I have friends with three kids. They cost a lot of money and <laughs> I can't really say, okay, well, you know, I can't look at my child and say, I should be saving $20,000 a month, but you're here. That's not how it works. <laughs> and so knowing that I have kids and knowing that I live in an expensive city, I'm right outside of New York. Mm. I'm going to use myself as an example here. It's what else can I be doing um, to counter this, right? So, you know, knowing there's a gender wage gap and mm. I think it's just being really mindful of of how I'm spending and how I'm saving and where I'm investing and um, empowering myself with as much education as possible so I can minimize financial mistakes that can take me off course. But I think when it comes to women, the biggest one of the biggest things that impact um, 
them over their lifetimes when it comes to finances is their earnings and the fact that we need more money over the course of our lifetimes to support ourselves, given the fact that we live longer on average than men. And also given the fact that many women, you know, are single, remaining single, um, divorce, you know, happens, people, women lose spouses and all of those different factors are reasons why we need to have our finances in order. We, um, I want to go back to sort of your family. When do you think is a good time to talk to your partner about finances? First date or maybe leave it a little bit longer than that? <laughs> but it's a um, good idea, right? You need to have these discussions. But when, when would you say, how do you go about that? Honestly, from the first date, I mean... Really? It's really... Yes, absolutely. It's important to know about where your partner's head is when it comes to their finances. And it's about the type of conversation, obviously, right? You're not going to go on the first day and be, and be like, okay, listen, pull out your spreadsheet. How much do you owe? How much is in your bank account? What are your goals? No. <laughs> you know, a first date conversation about money could simply be, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Because at the end of the day, when we think about our goals, and our ambitions and our careers, a lot of that, right, um, the foundation of that is money because money is what allows us to achieve the things that we want and a lot of our goals. So just understanding where their head is, where do they see themselves is a great first date conversation haver. Um, Definitely before you get married, you need to know what debt they have and you also need to be full disclosure with yours. Mm. You need to know, you know, savings, investments, and you sharing that as well. But you want to know what you're getting yourself into financially. And you also want to make sure that you guys are on the same page. So you need to have the conversation about how you're going to manage money together. Are you going to have joint accounts, separate accounts? Are you going to have kids, one kid, two kid, three kids? Because that involves a lot of money. <laughs> Where are you going to live? Are you going to stay in an apartment and buy a house again? Ching, ching, money. <laughs> So, you know, when it comes to having a conversation with your partner about money and timing, I think it's all about going at a slow, comfortable pace. You don't need to have the whole conversation about your money and your financial master plans in one sitting. It's just making it part of your natural conversation. Um, I remember when I was dating my husband, we would just talk about, you know, the things we wanted to do by the time we turned 35 and the time we turned 40. Or, you know, we would talk about, student loans and the student loans that he had and what his plans were to pay for them and just different things like that. It, it was just part of our conversation. Mm. Um, and it, it helps, right? Because when you can have those conversations, when you make it part of the things that you guys talk about as a couple, it helps to minimize the conflict when you get married and get to the other side of the relationship and there's nothing becomes shocking you know I talk to so many people who are like oh I haven't told my husband how much money I owe oh my husband doesn't know this my partner doesn't know that and when they eventually do find out it becomes this big mm. boiled over thing of anger and resentment and all kinds of other conflicts um, just because the effort wasn't made to have those small conversations earlier on yeah and I think we all need to get better at talking about money so if you can't talk about it with your partner who you might have a joint account with <laughs> It's probably not going to be that easy for you, is it? Um, yeah. I was going to say for any men listening as well, do you think there's anything that men can do to support the women in their lives when it comes to their finances? Oh my God, absolutely. I think one thing that 
And not all men are like this. My husband is not like this. I have tons of guy friends who are not like this. But there are this subset of guys who feel they're in competition with their partner. And that should not be the case. Mm. When you're in a relationship, right, you want to think about yourselves as a team. Mm. Two heads can do so much more than one head one brain imagine if you combined forces with your partner think about the empire think about the goals that you can build together and so i think when it comes to men supporting you know their their partners their spouses just be on board and be a participant in the conversation you know conversations about money are not one-sided things um you know be in that space where you can support each other without down talking each other without making someone feel inferior or because you earn more or they earn more or you know that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. just be a participant and remember that they're not your competition yeah <laughs> they're your that. they're your partner that's one way that you know guys can can support women I, I see this so often I had I had a friend uh, a former friend tell me that they could never marry someone like me because um, I'm too ambitious. And I was like, that's such, you're losing out on so much if this is what you're holding your future partner to. Yeah. And who's too <laughs> ambitious? It's that whole thing of competition, like making those goals together seems like such great advice. Exactly. And their stats support that we are much better at handling money. So you guys should definitely trust us. Stats prove this. <laughs> This is going to go viral now, Bola. Um, we talked a bit, a little bit earlier about how you were talking about showing, setting a good example for kids. But do you think there's a good way to encourage kids and girls, especially, to be more interested in money from a young age? Yes, absolutely. I think when you just talk about money with your kids, um, it just makes it normal, right? You, I mean, I don't even know if it's having them interested in money they don't have to be interested in money just they just know how to they just need to know how to manage it well okay um i think that's the that's the important message is that with like pocket money or not saying with yes to pocket everything money, not saying yes to everything um you know a lot of parents are like well i haven't gotten my finances in order there's no way i can teach my children but that is the perfect opportunity to teach your children how you're learning to pay down debt how you're mm-hmm. learning to save how you're learning to budget like even experiences as simple as let's go to the grocery store we have a hundred dollars and this is our list mm-hmm. find what's on the list that fits this budget and showing them that we can't afford to buy certain things because they're not in the budget. All those things have lasting impact on children. Um, my kids are six years old now. We're in this space where I'm trying to teach them what it means to have ownership and that's investing. So once a month they get money transferred into custodial accounts, which are accounts that we manage for them as their parent. Wow. And they get to buy stocks. And the way I introduce the concept of investing to them is that, well, you like certain brands like Barbie or Hot Wheels or Nike or Adidas, um, etc. But do you realize that as opposed to us spending this money buying, consuming those things all the time, we can actually make you a part owner by buying these stocks in these companies and they're trying they were starting to understand the concept even though i think they they have they have a little bit to go because um <laughs> yesterday we drove by a dunkin donuts and my daughter has a few stocks in dunkin donuts and she was like oh my god mommy my i have stocks in dunkin donuts <laughs> no she was like does that mean i have to work there when i'm older <laughs> i love that stocks in like, barbie well- <laughs> and dunkin donuts 
Yeah, exactly. So only the children of a financial expert like you, (laughs) Bola. So it's really just introducing them to the concepts um, and also um, delayed gratification and Mm. teaching them gratitude, how to be grateful for what they have because it's not free. Somebody had to work for it, mom and dad, Mm. to give you those fancy things. And there's also people who want what you have. There are kids out there who want what what you have, but they don't have it because they can't afford it. So I think it's just bringing them into part of your day-to-day. And I would just, one one word of caution I would give parents around teaching their kids about money is to be mindful of the words that they say to their kids also. I talk to so many women who have a lack mindset or a lack mentality because all they heard about money from their parents was, I can't afford this, or you know, you will never be able to buy that, or we're too poor, we're too broke. And sometimes you go through a season where you are poor and you are broke because you're trying to get your finances in order. But I would encourage people to look on the right side of it. And as they speak to their children, tell them the things that they're doing to get to that other side where they're building wealth and they're saving and they've paid off the debt as opposed to focusing on the negatives of the current moment. You've given us loads of great advice there, Bola. I was just going to suggest though, if you were going to say to someone listening right now, um, take these three things away from what I've just said to you, what would they be? Um, Number one, I would say, get your head in the game, adjust your mindset, forgive yourself for your money mistakes. So whatever past mistakes that you've made, understand that we've all made them. And it's now time to take those lessons from those mistakes, throw away the hurt (laughs) or take that hurt and channel it into getting getting the emotions together to help you start building wealth. So get your head in the game, forgive yourself, number one. Number two, I would say start to educate yourself on how money works. We live in a day and age where resources are at our fingertips. Mm. Books, podcasts like this one, videos, YouTube, there's all kinds of resources to help you begin to understand how to invest, how to save, how to budget, creating a debt payoff plan. Start to educate yourself. It's really important because when you have the knowledge, you are empowered to take the right action. You can make informed decisions. And then number three, I would say surround yourself with the right people. Um, And sometimes you may not have the people in front of you or in your immediate space who are motivated or who are who have accomplished or are in the process of accomplishing the things that you want to do for instance paying off debt saving investing etc but again we live in this world where the internet is amazing (laughs) oprah is my mentor in my head she doesn't know me she doesn't need to but i've read every book i've followed any every interview you know find people like that whether you know them personally whether they're virtual mentors or accountability partners and just immerse yourself in what they did to become successful so that you can stay motivated on your journey. Because I think one of the things that demotivates people is they underestimate the amount of time it's going to take to build wealth. And um, it does take time. It's a journey. It's a process. And during the process, you will make mistakes. But if you can find ways to stay motivated and dust yourself off and pick yourself back up, even on those difficult, dark days when life is throwing all kinds of wrenches at you, then you will be able to make it through and get to that other side. We're like, wow, I can't believe I did this. Yeah. Those are the three things I would I would say. And they're amazing ones. They're amazing. I know so many people as well who love Oprah. <laughs> We're trying to give, <laughs> give me advice, and I'm like, you got that from Oprah. Um, 
<laughs> Finally, Bola, like you just mentioned, it is a bit of trial and error. Like nothing is a straight line. It wasn't a straight line from where you were to where you are now. So we always like to ask our guests if you could go back and tell your 18-year-old self one bit of advice. What would that be? How many hours do we have? Because <laughs> <laughs> they involve credit cards. <laughs> uh, I've made so many mistakes from my first credit card in college to real estate mistakes. Really? <gasps> retail mistakes. But I will say one of my biggest mistakes that I talk about the most often is my ridiculous handbag collection I had oh. once upon a time. How many? Tell me. Just, oh, I don't even know how many I had. I had a good number. I had an, <laughs> oh, like... A lot of handbags, like in excess of like 30 or 40 handbags, a lot of handbags. That's like one for and every day of the month. Yes. <laughs> I could be on Instagram right now. <laughs> Handbag influencer. Um, <laughs> no, but really it was, and they were not cheap handbags. I mm-hmm. got to the space where I'd saved all this money and I was like, I deserve something nice. I want to buy a Chanel handbag. And I go to the store and I buy this amazing, beautiful handbag that I really loved. And then I got to this space where I just couldn't have one because, well, I need another color. And well, I work so hard and I'm mm-hmm. so tired. And I started to reduce how much I was saving. And instead, every few months, I was buying another ridiculously expensive handbag. And there's nothing wrong with handbags, designer handbags. Some people like whatever your, your expensive splurge indulgence is, it could be a plane ticket. It could be whatever it is, right? But it has to make sense for your lifestyle. And for me, my handbags made absolutely no sense because I was never using them. They were just sitting in my closet. The cost per wear was zero, mm. right? And it was like I stacked up dollar bills in my closet and they were turning to mold in the closet. Wow. You know, my 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 husband now, my fiance boyfriend at the time was one day in my closet and he's like, these handbags are hideous, first of all. and you still married him (laughs) i know and i was like you know it's time to let these go and the reason why i say it's my biggest mistake is because at the time i was buying ironically the time i was buying these handbags i was also at that point starting to do more investing i remember vividly looking at amazon stock very early on and i think about the fact that if i had taken the money I had spent on that one handbag, which was about $2,800 at the time. Um, In today's money, I would have maybe close to $40,000 in Amazon stock from that one purchase. I'm pulling so many faces, Bola. (laughs) I know. And think about the fact that I had so many handbags. They were all different prices, but they were not cheap. Mm. And so... For me, I decided to sell the bags. I sold all every single one of them. Um, and luckily for me, I was able to sell them at what I paid or thanks to the incredible price increases. Thank you, <laughs> Chanel, for double <laughs> what I bought them for. So I still made money. But if you, if I was to really be objective and think about the fact that, okay, Paula, if you had invested in Amazon, you would have so much more. Yeah. Um, but I'm really crying over spilt milk. But <laughs> I would say... That was my biggest mistake, just getting to the point where I got too comfortable about money in the bank and earning mm-hmm. a lot of money and just overspending in a way that didn't even make sense for my lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing story. And it just goes to show, like, you can have your splurges, but you should probably be using them. <laughs> Everything in moderation. I, I still like my handbags, but I'm not a I'm not crazy like that anymore. Okay, we haven't got, you haven't got 30 anymore, no? <laughs> no, <laughs> I have, like, four. <laughs> okay, that's not reasonable. One for every week yes. of the month. <laughs> Um, for everyone listening, as always, there will be some more resources in the show notes. But Bola from clevergirlfinance.com, thank you so much for joining me on the Penny Drops. 
Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Penny Drops. We hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, so please do leave us a review. Or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch at thepennydrops at royallondon.com. This podcast series is brought to you by Royal London, the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company. Royal London, determination since 1861. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Royal London.